How to Beat the Racists, a Workers' Liberty Pamphlet, Police Injustice UK by Alan MacArthur. Police lawyers have been strong-arming cinemas to stop them showing injustice. A powerful new documentary on deaths in police custody which exposes corruption and cover-up at every level of the criminal justice system. The film names officers responsible for deaths in custody and calls for them to be tried for murder. It follows the families of the dead through their attempts to establish the truth, documenting how time and again they meet a wall of official secrecy. Police lawyers have been scaring cinemas into cancelling shows of injustice by threatening to sue for libel. Filmmakers Migrant Media have responded by arranging backup guerrilla screenings at alternative makeshift venues. The film's director, Ken Farrow, told Workers' Liberty, quote, We will show the film and keep on showing it. We want these stories told and we want the police officers responsible convicted. We won't back down however long it takes. If the police or individual officers sue us for libel, all the evidence in these cases will come before a court and they will have to justify why it was not murder. End quote. Injustice focuses in detail on the cases of three black men, Brian Douglas, Ibrahim Assay, and Shiji Lapite, all killed by the police in the mid-1990s and was made in conjunction with their families. It also tells the story of David Oluwale, Joy Gardner, Wayne Douglas, Christopher Alder, Roger Sylvester, Sarah Thomas, and Harry Stanley. Brian Douglas, stopped by the police in Clapham, South London in May 1995, received a blow to the head with a police baton so hard that it was the equivalent of falling 11 times his own height onto his head. Despite the fact that he had been backing away in fear from PC Mark Tuffy, the officer who dealt the blow. Brian then spent 15 hours in a cell at Kennington Police Station with a fractured skull and was given no medical attention. He died in hospital a week later. Ibrahim Say, a Muslim from Ibrahim Say, a Muslim from the Gambia, was taken to Ilford Police Station, East London, in March 1996 after a domestic row. He was held down and beaten by several officers, resulting in severe bruising on his forehead and stomach, and had CS gas sprayed in his face. He died from asphyxiation. Shiji Lapite, a Nigerian asylum seeker, was stopped by two police officers, Andrew McCallum and Paul Wright, in Hackney, northeast London, in December 1994, for, quote, acting suspiciously, end quote. The officers claimed they found crack cocaine at the scene. One of them held Shiji in a headlock while the other kicked his head. A witness reported that Shiji was put into a police van. His head was lolling about. At the inquest into Shiji's death, McCallum and Wright claimed that he was, quote, the biggest, strongest, most violent black man they had ever seen, end quote. Yet their only injuries were a bite mark on the shoulder of one and a small scratch on the other's fingers. Shiji was five foot ten tall and of a medium build. No police officer has ever been convicted for a death in custody. For details of injustice or for more information, visit www.injusticefilm.co.uk. For details of any of the cases listed here and to join the Campaigns for Justice, contact the United Friends and Families campaign 07770 Campaign demands a public inquiry into deaths in custody. Free Mumia Abu Jamal Mumia Abu Jamal is a former Black Panther and an award-winning journalist. Mumia has been on death row since 1982 
after he was wrongfully sentenced for the shooting of a police officer. New evidence, including the recantation of a key eyewitness, as well as new ballistic and forensic evidence, points to his innocence. For the last 19 years, Mumia has been locked up 23 hours a day, denied contact visits with his family, had his confidential legal mail illegally opened by prison authorities, and been put into punitive detention for writing his book, Life from Death Row. His case is currently on appeal before the Federal District Court in Philadelphia. Mumia's fight for a new trial has won the support of tens of thousands around the world, including Nelson Mandela, the European Parliament and Amnesty International. Mumia Abu Jamal's fate rests with all those people who believe in every person's right to justice and a fair trial. www.mumia.org Mumia's case was rigged. The judge Albert Sabo has sentenced more people to death than any other sitting judge in the US. The public defender didn't interview a single witness in preparation for the trial and didn't have funds for defending the case. The prosecutor removed 11 qualified African-Americans from the jury. He also argued for the death penalty because of Mumia's membership of the Black Panther Party, a practice later condemned as unconstitutional by the US Supreme Court. The racial bias of Philadelphia's courts has resulted in 120 people on death row, all but 13 non-white. America's racist death penalty. The imposition of the death penalty is racially biased. Nearly 90% of persons executed were convicted of killing whites, although people of colour made up over half of all murder victims in the United States. In Illinois, Oklahoma and North Carolina, killers of white victims are four times more likely to receive the death penalty than the killers of black victims. As of 1st of January 1997, African Americans made up 11 of the 13 people executed by the state of Alabama. African Americans make up half of the death row populations in North Carolina, South Carolina, Ohio, Delaware, Mississippi and Virginia. Over two-thirds of the people on death row in Pennsylvania, Illinois and Louisiana and more than three out of four people waiting to be executed in federal and U.S. military military prisons. 60% of the persons on death row in California and Texas are either black, Latino, Asian or Native American. 90% of the people the US government prosecutors seek to execute are black or Latino. The Police After McPherson, Still Armed and Dangerous, by Sasha Ishmael. Anyone who has reported a robbery to the police knows how ridiculous the claim that they exist to stop crime is. The police do not exist to deal with the social problems bred by capitalist society, but to defend capitalism itself. That means that they are also defenders of the racism which the system breeds. It is no accident that so many police officers are themselves virulent and active racists, or that the police force has a serious problem with institutional racism. Contrary to what senior police officers have repeatedly claimed, police racism is not just a reflection of racist attitudes in society at large. The police are deliberately separated from the rest of society. Sheltered from democratic accountability, given wide-ranging and arbitrary powers and run in a hierarchical and authoritarian way so that they will be a reliable force against strikes and demonstrations. They are trained not only to defend the ruling class with physical force, but to believe in enforcing ruling class ideas. It is hardly surprising, therefore, that they reproduce reactionary prejudices such as racism at double strength. The police are one of the most bigoted groups in society, 
they have the power to harass, frame, and even kill with near impunity. The police thug who killed Blair Peach on an anti-racist demonstration in Southall in 1979 has never been caught because other police officers shielded him. More recently, the police officers who shot Derek Bennett in Brixton in July 2001 have not been named and are still at work. The ever-growing list of beatings, shootings and deaths in police custody and the fact that black people so underrepresented in the police force are disproportionately represented among the police's victims is a powerful and disturbing reminder of what the police stand for and are capable of. In 1999, years of stubborn campaigning by the family of Stephen Lawrence and their supporters finally forced the bourgeois establishment to admit that the police force is institutionally racist. The McPherson report on how the police dealt with the death, um, how the police dealt with um, the racist murder of Stephen on 22nd of April 1993 in Eltham in South London concludes plainly that the investigation, quote, was marred by a combination of professional incompetence, institutional racism and a failure of leadership by senior officers, end quote. Even a representative of the cravenly pro-police Blair government admitted that it was, quote, outrageous, end quote, that the officers responsible had escaped disciplinary action. The McPherson inquiry found that the police officers responsible for investigating the Stephen Lawrence case had deliberately wasted time, ignored crucial evidence and treated Stephen's family and his friend Dwayne Brooks, rather than the men who killed him, as criminals. It also found extensive evidence of wider, quote, institutional racism in the police, essentially, that the police use their powers to persecute black communities and especially young black men. The Metropolitan Police responded by promising to clean up its act under the slogan, quote, protect and respect, end quote. Yet the measures proposed in and resulting from the McPherson report were more about protecting the police than Britain's black communities. The aim was to stop the police being overwhelmed by grassroots racism on the one hand and militant anti-racism on the other. A dose of, quote, institutional anti-racism, end quote, was proposed to moderate the racism of the police and make them more acceptable and credible in the black communities. The establishment wanted to restrain freelance racism so that the larger racism underpinned by immigration and asylum laws and the mass unemployment of rotten dog-eat-dog capitalist society continue without uncontrollable disorder. The problem, as Doreen Lawrence put it, is the police policing themselves, the complete absence of democratic accountability with which the police operate. The McPherson report, despite the starkness of its findings, did nothing to change this situation. It proposed no new measures of democratic control over or even monitoring of police operations. Attempts by local councils to use existing police authorities to win accountability or at least constrain the police's freedom of action, for instance in South Yorkshire during the miners' strike, have always failed because the police authorities are utterly toothless bodies and the police force was not designed to be democratically accountable. Far from proposing democratic control of the police, McPherson did not even aim to curb existing police powers, insisting, for instance, that the law on stop and search should remain unchanged. In the absence of accountability, the pious wish that the police become more sensitive to racism will remain utterly utopian. Similarly, codes of conduct against racist behaviour have been more than offset by recent moves to increase police powers. 
just as the police currently use their stop and search powers disproportionately against black people, so they will use the new powers granted by the Terrorism Act and other pieces of legislation in a racist way. The police remain what they were when Stephen Lawrence was killed, armed, racist and dangerous. Many in the labour movement have learned why young black people hate the police only when they themselves have been attacked. It is a lesson that the whole labour movement must learn. When labour MPs and trade union leaders call for more police, bigger truncheons and a general crackdown on crime, they are siding with a racist gang against working class and in the first instance black working class people. To win socialism, we must defeat the bosses. In order to do that, we must oppose, fight, and one day break the police force which defends them. In the short term, until the labour movement is ready to defeat and provide an alternative to the police, we should side with those at the sharp end of police brutality and racism and do all we can to curb and weaken police power. Representative, the police claim that their organisation only reflects the racism of society as a whole, that they are not in fact representative of society as shown by the very small numbers of black people in the police. Just under 7% of the UK population is from an ethnic minority, but only 2.2% of police officers. In inner city areas where most black people live, this phenomenon is even more pronounced. In Greater Manchester, 2.5% of police officers are black, compared to 7.1% of the whole population. In the West Midlands metropolitan region around Birmingham, 4.1% compared to 17.1%. In West Yorkshire, including Bradford, only 2.6% of the police force, but 9.6% of the population are from an ethnic minority, while in London the equivalent figures are 2.3% and 25.1%. The McPherson report notes that a black person is nearly eight times more likely to be stopped and searched, five times more likely to be arrested and seven times more likely to die as a result of police actions than a white person. Police violence, the facts. There have been 555 deaths in police custody in England and Wales since 1990. In 89% of cases where a court or inquest found the police guilty of unlawfully killing, though these involved a black victim. Still, not a single police officer has ever been convicted of an offence in relation to these deaths. According to Inquest, the independent campaign against deaths in custody and for democratic accountability of the police, black people accounted for 19.3% of deaths in police or prison custody between 1991 and 2001. Figures from the Police Complaints Authority, an in-house whitewashing body that sees the police investigate themselves, show that in the year up to March 2001, the organisation dealt with 5,211 reports of police assaults, or one reported assault for every 25 police officers in England and Wales. Of those complaints that were pursued, fewer than half, less than 5% resulted in a misconduct action. Only 11 officers were thrown out of the force. There have been 25 fatal shootings by the police in England and Wales since 1990, and yet not one police officer has ever been convicted. Racist attacks. According to Home Office figures, the number of reported racist incidents, attacks or harassment grew from 4,383 in 1985 to 12,222 in 1996, 13,151 in 1997, 13,878 in 1998, 
23,049 in 1999 and 47,814 in 2000. Although this growth can be accounted for partly by an increased willingness to go to the police in the aftermath of the McPherson report, it is probably still the case that only a minority of racist incidents are reported. Free Satpal Ram. Satpal Ram is serving a life sentence for defending himself against a racist attacker. On 16th of November 1986, after going out for a meal in Birmingham, he was attacked by a group of six white men wielding broken bottles. He attempted to defend himself with a small knife he used at work to open packages and wounded one of the attackers. When the man, who refused medical treatment, died shortly afterwards, Satpal was arrested on a charge of murder. Before his trial, Satpal was allowed only one 40-minute consultation with his barrister, who advised him to change his plea from self-defence to provocation and not to speak in his own defence. Thinking his lawyer was acting in his best interests, he complied, and the trial, at the trial, most of the evidence came from Satpal's attackers because the main defence witness, the restaurant staff, spoke mainly Bengali and were not fluent in English. Satpal's lawyer did not request an interpreter. Vital evidence was not heard and the all-white jury found Satpal guilty of murder. Ever since, Satpal has fought to overturn his conviction and has consequently been labelled a, quote, disruptive prisoner, end quote. He has been subjected to solitary confinement, beatings and movement from prison to prison. Despite attempts to break his spirit, he continues to read and educate himself and has steadfastly supported the campaigns of other prisoners fighting for justice. At his first parole hearing in December 1997, Satpal had already served a year over his recommended tariff. He is still waiting to hear whether his case can be heard again by the Court of Appeal. What happened to Satpal Ram is indicative of the racism and brutal authoritarianism of Britain's criminal justice system. To send Satpal a message of support, write to Satpal Ram, E94164, HMP Little Hay, Perry, Huntingdon, Cambridgeshire, PE28OSR. Free Satpal Ram campaign, Hansworth, Birmingham, B191NH, or PO Box 30091, London SE1, 1WP. Telephone 07947 595 367. Email what we say. Socialists side with all victims of police harassment and law-breaking and campaign for justice. Ultimately, we want elected bodies of people to police their own communities. Immediately, we fight to make the police accountable and limit their ability to harass ethnic minorities, young people and the labour movement. Workers' liberty demands the right to live free from police harassment, the outlawing of stop and search procedures by the police, an end to prosecutions based solely on confessions an independent, elected and properly resourced police complaints authority. Complaints against the police are currently dealt with by a powerless complaints body which relies on the police itself. Elected bodies to control the police with power over operational policy and budgets. Ex existing police authorities have little power, are only partly elected and can be ignored by the police. Repeal the Prevention of Terrorism and Terrorism Acts. The disbandment of all armed units, special branch, the British political police, and the immigration police. 